0: In this episode of the Constructing Differences podcast, I'm interviewing Sofia Gutierrez. Sofia is a second year at the Syracuse University School of Architecture and serves on the e-board of the Syracuse chapter of the National Organization of Minority Architects. So if you want to start by just
1: telling me a little bit about yourself and sharing whatever you'd like. So I'm a second year. I'm from Morristown, New Jersey, where I currently am. I've had a lot of struggle with mental health and mental disability so I didn't actually know that there were like proper labels or terms for a lot of what I like dealt with until more recently like last couple years and it's been a hard like self-advocation journey a lot of roadblocks as I'm sure you can imagine Mm -hmm. so yeah that's kind of like an overview of me So you are a student at the Syracuse School of
0: Architecture. Can you tell me a little bit about what you think is the best part of being an architecture student and maybe the most difficult parts that you've experienced so far in your two years at Syracuse?
1: The best part is it can be really, really fulfilling to not only get to work with very talented people, but also like-minded people. Architecture school is the first time that I've felt like my creative ideas are really valid and like valued by others but on the flip side there's also a lot of criticism that comes with being a student you have to get very used to having an idea that you're invested in shot down so i would say that's one of the worst parts of being an architecture student is that you might be really excited about something and a professor or a critic can take one look at it and say this is horrible and you just kind of have to you have to learn how to deal with it because it's the whole like profession and the whole experience as a student is one of constant criticism Mm -hmm. so those are it's like a double-edged sword in that way yeah and how have you dealt with that criticism in the past it was a little difficult at first like in first year I took it very personally Mm -hmm. but I guess over the last three almost four semesters I've learned that it's not a personal attack and if it is that's like inappropriate on the part of the professor. It's always just a constructive, or it should always be like a constructive process where they tell you why something doesn't work, you know, syntactically or theoretically or conceptually. Mm -hmm. And then they give you options and examples and precedents and, you know, ways to build upon it. So I've kind of taken it as every single time I get a bad crit it's it's a learning experience it's something which I can improve upon rather than like something to feel like I failed you know what I mean
0: Mm -hmm. I definitely share those sentiments with you and have had very similar experiences where some of the feedback has felt personal and and -hmm. sometimes it is you know like and that's Just, I think the reality of our architecture education it's oftentimes because our work is so intensive, it's really difficult to separate out what Mm -hmm. is purely work-based and what it becomes about your person and who you are and how that integrates with your work. Because a lot of our work should be personal and it is related to who we are because it's so much of our identity and our time spent. In terms of the things that you have learned so far... Can you identify any gaps in your education or what do you think has been well taught so far?
1: Mm. Gaps in education. Well, this is something that we've begun to discuss in, I guess, higher level classes, but Mm -hmm. in the foundational classes in architecture, it's very Eurocentric, it's very, Ableist, it's a tiny slice of what architecture is and should be and can be. Mm -hmm. So I was very frustrated as a freshman that even the classes that were more inclusive still othered anything that wasn't like Western Eurocentric. Even now, in classes that I consider to be more global and taught by very socially conscious people, we still don't have a lot of diversity in the people that we read or the, you know, precedents that are shown over and over. I've seen Cabusier's Villa Savoie a hundred <laughs> times now in classes, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So
1: I'd say that's like the biggest information gap as far as diversity and inclusion, which is very ironic because the school preaches about how it's so diverse and inclusive. And also... I mean, this is like a a given no matter where you are in higher education or even in like high school or secondary school. There's like a very glaringly obvious time disparity of who's had the time to read and who's had like a wealth of opportunity to do summer programs and pre-college things and, you know, travel abroad outside of Syracuse abroad. I'd say that's another big gap that I've noticed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So th- those are the two biggest ones to me.
0: Yeah, definitely. With regards to the time aspect of it, I think that in addition to being time to read, it's what resources have you had and how do you learn? I know a lot of professors, they require you to work and learn in a certain way. So for example, like note-taking, yeah. you have to look this way or appear this way, and you have to process information in a a way that is very structured and the same with the 150 people in your class and everyone in your class, if they're preaching diversity at the same time, then, you know, it's kind of um, counterintuitive for them to make a such a diverse group, do the same exact thing and produce the same
1: exact knowledge. I know exactly what you're talking about. (laughs) And I completely (laughs) agree.
0: I know you touched on this idea of diversity, equity, inclusion. And, you know, I have some thoughts about the way that institutions like Syracuse University throw on that term. And so I'm wondering, what do you think the meaning of diversity, equity, inclusion should be?
1: Right. So I think it doesn't start once you enter the institution's doors. I've noticed from going to forums and speaking with the dean and the UG chair and through Nomos, you know, we've had to meet with all these people. I've noticed that they are more focused on what happens once you get here. But the problem is so many people can't even get here in the first place. There's, you know, the money barrier. There's a lot of institutional and systemic barriers to even take a college tour or get your foot in the door, get an interview. And I don't think that's being addressed. And I think that's where DEI needs to start is community outreach, especially because the Syracuse community at large is very diverse. And if the school really wanted to go so far as to extend DEI to every aspect possible, they need to start there first because the community is not benefiting from the private university as much as they might think they are, you know. I think DEI definitely starts with community outreach and telling kids that their creative ideas and their ambitions not only are possible, but they're valid and they matter. Because I, I think a lot of, especially students with disability or students of color or students who aren't like middle or high class, don't think that they have the ability to accomplish the same things that middle-class or high-class students might be able to because they don't have the resources. They haven't been told, you know, you can go to a private institution and you can get a good degree. I mean, the high school to prison pipeline is like, it's astounding, especially for our local community. I did some research for Cook Studio for Arc 207 and, the percentage of the high school population that is BIPOC that is involved in the high school to prison pipeline is astounding. It's insane. So, like community outreach, after school programs, actually telling people in the community that their thoughts mean something and are worth something and are worth pursuing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really shocking these statistics that we haven't pursued versus the mm-hmm. knowledge that we have that is so far away from Syracuse, New York. I know that NOMOS is putting in a lot of effort to do this outreach and to look and to be involved in this dialogue and these conversations about our local community, our campus, and also just immediate change in general. And I was wondering if you could talk a little mm-hmm. bit more about your role in NOMOS and what initiatives you've been working on and maybe any communities that you're also a part of that I'm not aware of.
1: Um, yeah, sure. So NOMOS in particular has currently a- though the fundraiser just ended but it was called art in action and we're setting it up to be a recurring annual fundraiser where artists in syracuse or with connection to syracuse in some way can donate pieces to be bought off of our site and instead of paying us they give a direct donation to a fundraiser or charity of our choosing so we chose salt city harvest farm which is in syracuse new york which uh, serves disabled and newly immigrated Americans. We really want to make some kind of a direct impact on the community, as well as Karen Chow, our community outreach co-chair, who worked with Rita Verma on Art in Action. She's our other co-chair. So Karen created FDS, Future Designers of Syracuse, which um, is kind of what I was talking about with going into the community and showing kids that these things can actually like happen. You can actually get involved in them and... There's opportunities here. So I'm kind of like behind the scenes on both of those projects, just with like coordinating and programming. But FDS is definitely Karen Chow's brainchild, and she puts so much work into it. And Art in Action is definitely on Rita Verma's brainchild as well. So I'm just kind of like more behind the scenes on both of those, but I very much fully support what they're doing and have been involved. And I guess as far as communities that I belong to, are you talking about like race, gender, sexuality, disability? Uh, It could be be
0: anything from communities you support, networks that you belong to. They could be within Syracuse, they could be outside of. It's very,
1: uh, very broad. You can share whatever you are comfortable with. Okay. I mean, I'm comfortable sharing everything. It's just a matter of what's gonna answer your question the best. (laughs) So, I mean, I guess in the Syracuse university community, I'm part of Dimensions which is in the Office of Multicultural Affairs. It's a uh, mentoring program for women of color. So I'm half Mexican. My dad is a Mexican immigrant. And I haven't really found a lot of Hispanic or Latin people near me who can relate to me on that level. And being around a group of women of color who are also students, who are also high-achieving, very smart, uh, very driven people in dimensions is incredibly rewarding. I've made some really good connections there. I am also a peer mentor for the Syracuse Architecture School. So I've been able to mentor like two different groups within Syracuse University. And it's been really rewarding as new students and kind of see them walk through some of the same stuff I went through last year, because it's interesting to see how it changes year to year or how it doesn't change. Mm -hmm. Um, Because oftentimes I feel like the same experiences are repeated both as like architecture students and as like women of color. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'd say those are the two more prominent communities on campus that I belong to other than NOMAS.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Can you talk a little bit more about these incidents that you've had to overcome? Like what are these repeated incidents that you've had to experience and then go back to help others walk through? Why are they being repeated and what
1: can we do to change that? So I have experienced microaggressions on campus from professors and from other students. So particularly during the Not Again SU movement last year, mm-hmm. it became very evident which professors supported it and which professors didn't. And the ones that didn't expressed it very explicitly and somewhat microprogressively. <laughs> um, so I'm not gonna name names or anything. Yeah. So I had a professor last year There was some language barrier, I think, with some of the international students and him, because he didn't want to take the time to understand what they meant. Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't on the fault of the students. The students did nothing wrong. All they did was do their work. (laughs) And this professor would say things like, I think something's getting lost in translation here. And that made them uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable. Because I'm not fluent in Spanish, but my dad speaks two languages. And I know that when he was learning English, it was very frustrating to not be understood. I think it's modern family. Sofia Vergara's character says, like, you don't know how smart I am in Spanish. It's definitely true. Like, your first language is always what you're going to know the most words for, so you can express yourself the best. Mm -hmm. And it's not fair to tell someone something's getting lost in translation when that's not language that they're fluent in you have no idea how well they could explain themselves in their first language mm-hmm. so that was very frustrating and that same professor also told me that I didn't know what my own culture was because he couldn't understand the, that I could be both Spanish and Mexican at the same time yeah so he told me that I didn't know what my culture was in front of an entire class and then was confused as to why I defended myself so Those are the kinds of things that day-to-day manifest as less attention in class, less one-on-one interaction, both because I don't want to interact with someone like that and because they had somewhat of prejudice against me. So it it, like very glaringly obvious spent more white male students in the class,
0: Mm.
1: which those white male students even joked about it and were like, oh, this is kind of funny. You know this professor sees himself in us or something so like we're the favorites so that is one specific example that really grinds my gears and i'm still considering reporting to this day and i know that other people have had same issues with the same professor or similar with other professors so even like this year are having issues with the same professors and mm-hmm. so hearing from those people because i'm very vocal within the syracuse community about those specific incidents definitely I've gotten people say the same thing happened to me or the same thing is happening to me so it's like a repeated passed down almost trauma and experience
0: yeah that sounds terrible and I'm really sorry you had to experience that and also I'm sorry that other people have continued to experience that from the same person and I think this repetition is unacceptable and should be addressed and if you feel inclined to you should report it you know and it's a cycle that needs to come to an end. And it's really disappointing to hear. And also, you know, this is not the first time I've heard it. And these are sentiments that I share, you know, and experiences that I completely understand because I myself and also my peers and the people in my year who are two years older than you, these aren't unfamiliar to us. The upsetting thing is I'm not surprised to hear this. Yeah, It's become normalized in a really horrific way. It's like shocking, but not really because this happened to me, you know, and it's really upsetting that things like not again, SU and the microaggressions that come with it only perpetuate the problems that we're trying to fight. And a lot of the support that faculty and staff and students give is often conditional, right? It's like the work that we have as architecture students is so much that sometimes we can only support these movements and causes on on our own campuses on the condition that we don't have a deadline tomorrow.
1: Exactly, yeah. And it's
0: like, or professors will be like, yes, I support this cause, but don't go to the protest because you're going to miss studio. Like we have a crit. Mm -hmm. It just goes to show priorities that are like ingrained into us
1: and with our work. Yes, Um, I completely agree. And that's why I'm so thankful for those professors that are very conscious of it like Saku Cook, I mentioned I had last semester. I emailed him a couple of days in advance asking if I could go to one of the, like the walkouts that happened in the beginning of the year. And he was like, please go do it. Yeah. It's so much more important. Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm so thankful for that because not everyone understands or supports it. So mm-hmm. no. It's sad because like when I go outside of the school of
0: architecture to take other classes, the professors there are shockingly accommodating. Um, and mm-hmm. supportive of student movements and student efforts on campus. And then whenever we step into Slocum Hall, it's like we're tiptoeing around the issue. And then kind of pivoting to this idea of like the people who the professors and the experiences that you have that were really positive. What do you think are ways that we can shift this attitude you know, with professors to kind of get them to be more accepting, more supportive of student causes and ideas and efforts?
1: that's that's the problem right because a lot of these people were probably just as like they were either just as apathetic as, as they are now or they were somewhat similar to us in their youth but now are not empathetic to it so i mean i know professors who like oh yeah I did that when I was young I went to protest I grew up in the 60s <laughs> I love when they say that <laughs> and it's like okay then why don't you understand where we're coming from now yeah. with basically like the same subject matter like if you were protesting for it in the 60s why are we protesting for it now it's mm-hmm. repeating the same exact process that you went through and I'm, I'm sure they, you know, wanted approval from their professors. So I don't understand where they come from when they say, don't miss studio for this. Don't miss class for this. If you miss class for this, it's unexcused. When we all know a lot of them or people that they know were probably in the same situation. And at the end of the day, it's like in, in a profession like ours where exposure and repetition of tasks you know you have to be at it daily if you stop designing for a week straight people say like you you lose some of your skill you lose some of like your insight and I understand that but at the same time these aren't things that can wait because we're still protesting for it the fact that it's been several hundred years and a lot of people feel like nothing has really changed should say something to them that should wake them up on their own but I mean (laughs) as far as what Like students can do or what the institution should do is not just say, like, you should be accommodating, not just say you should understand this, actually enforce it. Mm -hmm. So I have an issue, especially after going through four semesters of classes with the lack of enforcement and the lack of oversight into classes. And I understand that the UG chair and, you know, coordinators can't be in every class all the time, but it really seems like there is absolutely no oversight where no one knows that these things are happening unless they get reported, unless they, you know, several times it, it's not just once and they look into it. It's like several times before they actually look into it and have someone like sit in on the class but of course if someone sits in on the class that professor is going to be on their best behavior like there is there's just very little oversight therefore there's no reason for these people to change because they know they're going to get away with it they know they can keep doing it and nothing's going to change either they're tenured or they're tenured track Mm -hmm. and so they think they're protected and I understand also the institution of tenuring but Mm-hmm. it can breed a lot of very ignorant people into the institution. Mm-hmm. So yeah, oversight is the first thing because it seems like there is n- not enough at all from what I've seen and from what my peers have seen through the years. I mean, I talked to Ivanya about this and Leah, who's the president Nomos right now. Mm-hmm. and they seem to like have the same experiences. Like you're we saying, like two years, three years, four years older than me have had the same experiences and nothing's changed because there's no enforcement mm-hmm. period. Yeah. <laughs> and even with that
0: oversight, like there's oversight, but then there's relationships that are mm-hmm. you know, unprofessional or mm-hmm. that are like behind the scenes because the architecture school is small and we know who's friends outside of it or not. Like there are exceptions being made for individuals and it's sad that there are exceptions in the wrong direction. You know, I've had my own agency questioned, you know, and working in DEI, especially the professors with tenure, like the institution of tenure abolish abolished tenure, you know? <laughs> but when we talk about Casa del Facio, like when we reference that- oh so my much, God. <laughs> like And then they're like, actually like, don't go to this protest. <laughs> like stay in studio. We love Russian constructivism. We love the architecture of mm-hmm. gap, of protest, of, of revolution. Mm-hmm. But then when we you know recreate or kind of use that as a, not an architectural precedent, but like a mm-hmm. political precedent, like it's mm-hmm. then it's all of a sudden um, frowned upon.
1: Right, like God forbid mm-hmm. the students of Columbia who protested their studio classes for weeks actually make an impact on us as more than just like you're saying, like an architectural precedent, like. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> You're showing us this, that you're surprised that we're like radicalized or mobilized. Like, are you kidding me?
0: Yeah, I feel like we could go on and on. But with your time, you know, remaining at Syracuse, what do you hope to obtain in your education here? What do you hope to achieve?
1: What I hope to achieve is more through Nomus. I think Nomus is newer and, you know, props to DJ Butler for building it back up and the previous e-boards for being able to rebirth that org. I think there was a vacuum from what I've heard before it was refounded. And now there's something there to fill the space where BIPOC students know they have a place to go at the end of the day. Like they have people to reach out to because, you know, there's not very many in each Grade. So we have to go across the grades to find them, Mm -hmm. which is sad. But um, yeah, I mean, I hope to encourage, not just encourage, demand of the current administration of Syracuse that there be more diversity in faculty, in students, in curriculum. So NOMAS is working with the curriculum. We have a curriculum representative. And she is a fifth-year Vanessa Poe, and she gives direct feedback to them, which is amazing. We would never know what's going on behind the scenes without someone in the room, which is the issue is a lot of the time they don't want people in the room, but we finally have someone. So I plan to stay in the executive board in whatever capacity I can so that we can continue to kind of push these initiatives and make sure that they don't die. Because I know with newer orgs, it's really difficult to keep things going in the long term. I plan on remaining critical of the admin. I don't know if you've seen me speak at any forums, but in every single forum I go to, I try to remind everyone in the room that we have resources that we could be using, like I said before, to reach out to the community and that we need to. And that the fact that there's only one Black professor in Syracuse and he's leaving because he didn't like it really says something about the architecture school and there needs to be change from the inside out because there's only so many times we can yell at them before we feel like they're never going to hear us and I know a lot of it is also above you know even Dean Speaks head but it starts with them taking a stand and them realizing we're not just saying these things because they're buzzwords. Diversity is a buzzword but it does still mean something and it needs to be utilized to its fullest potential. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what I intend to do is to keep pissing people off (laughs) until something happens.
0: (laughs) I'm so glad to hear that. You know, I think the problem with students fighting institutions is it's really easy for them to just hold out for five years until they graduate Mm -hmm. and then once Mm -hmm. you leave they're like all right new fresh start you know Mm -hmm. we have some new freshmen to feed them false information about what an institution is and like if they don't know about what happened before like we're totally in the clear and that's why it's really hard i think to make change and see change that's why i think nomas is starting back up is because organizations in institutions go through like cycles of people and you have to come back and kind of hold people accountable, like including alumni, students, freshmen, to like people who have graduated and left Syracuse. Like when you mm-hmm. carry that name with you, it's really important to hold them accountable and use the power that you gain, you know, by going through the system to mm-hmm. work in, you know, essentially. It's a lot of labor,
1: <laughs>
0: a lot of unpaid labor and a lot of emotional, emotional and mental. labor. Yeah, mental yeah. labor and <laughs> And it's also physical labor, like in, mm-hmm. in some cases. And so, you know, it's exhausting, but I think that using the networks that you're a part of and calling upon those around you to support you and to use that network is really important and is mm-hmm. what we can do to succeed. So thank you so much, Sophia, for sharing your thoughts. And I think that they were incredible and you're really... Well spoken. Thank you. So, I appreciate yeah. that. <laughs> Thank you for listening to an episode of the Constructing Differences podcast. To find out more about this project, visit representationsofdifference.com or at representationsofdifference on Instagram. Special thanks to Jan Deirdridge for helping me through the IRB approval process, Dr. Olwan for provoking my thoughts on solidarity, and Professor Lori Brown for being my mentor on this project and so many others. Finally, thank you to all the participants who agreed to speak with me on Zoom throughout the month of April. Your time, words, and thoughts were greatly appreciated.